Shalom and welcome to From Sunday to Sabbath, weekly podcast helping others discover the life that they were created to live in Jesus. I'm your host, Pastor Mike Scan, Senior Pastor of Epic Life Church in Terrell, Texas. We were once a Sunday church, but now we gather on the Shabbat, the Sabbath. Join us in this journey and discover the truth of God's Word for living today. Hey, shalom, everyone. My name's Mike Scan. I'm the senior pastor of a church here in Terrell, Texas called Epic Life Church. And this is our Sunday Sabbath podcast where we talk about everything Sabbath and Torah. But uh, for the next few weeks, I'm just going to be talking about how we ended up going from Sunday to Sabbath. So you may be catching us here on the YouTube page. You may be catching us on Spotify or uh, whatever um, you listen to your podcast on. I want to welcome you. I thank you for supporting us by simply watching us and listening to us is a huge, huge um, um, favor for us. And we really appreciate it. We're beginning to reach. We're small right now, but we are beginning to reach people all over, uh, not only the United States, but we're seeing people all over the world. To that, I want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, supporting us. And I hope you'll continue with us as we have a lot of subject matter to cover. Uh, today, I just want to take a little brief. I want to continue on where we were talking about uh, last week, um, where we were trying to show you kind of where we went. So we talked about this Ephesians passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verses um uh, what is it, 11 through 15, and how that dividing wall of hostility and how huge that was in kind of awakening something in me. I want to continue kind of off that vein today because I think it's essential in how we made that decision, how we made the decision to go from Sunday to Sabbath. See, here's the thing. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says, um, uh, for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. That's major to me. That's The reason I say it's major is because that has been a prayer of mine for, man, as long as I can remember, um, that I always wanted to be filled with righteousness, whatever that looked like. What's interesting to me is, a lot of people can't tell you what that is. I mean, they, they they'll they'll hee haul around about it, but but there's a there's a specific word for that. There's a specific reason. Um, early in my Christian life, I learned that the word righteousness meant to be in right standing with God, and it's a very elementary um, definition. And I do agree with that. However, there's a deeper meaning behind it, and it's really to live by a standard. Um, to live by a, a to, to order your life by a certain set of standards. Well, that's really what righteousness is, and that's what it means to live this Torah life. And so I wanna I wanna hit on that for a little bit because there's some information I want to give to us today that was paramount to us becoming a Sabbath church and, and how we made this transition. I've had a lot of people say, well, you know, Mike, you need to write a book about this. And and I probably will one day um, because the deception that Hasatan or another name for Satan or Lucifer, the greatest deception that he has given is the separation. And this is where I want to hang out today. The separation between the Jew and the Gentile. 
And that's kind of now, now pastors won't say this, but there is, there's this separation of, okay, the old Testament is for the Jewish people. And, and, and the, and the, the God of the old Testament was a judgmental God and he's a mean God and all of this. And then the God of the new Testament, Jesus is, is quite the opposite. He's a loving God and he loves you. And he's got a plan and purpose for your life and, and just follow Jesus, just set your eyes on Jesus. And that's all you have to do. But what the, what's happening is, is you get two different versions. You have two different versions of God. And, and that's one of the things that begin to eat at me because I want to be, I want to do what's right. I want to follow God with all of my heart, all of my soul, my strength. What does that mean though? So I always prayed, God, help me to be righteous. I want to live according to his standard, not to because I'm trying to be biased or pious or I'm something special. Or I'm something better than everyone else. I'm not. But I love him and I know what Yeshua Jesus has done for me. And so my life is committed to following him. But what does that look like? So this got me into this, this place, man, of, okay, I understand that the wall of hostility is brought down, and now the Jew and Gentile can worship together. But what I'm being taught, or what we know of, is that there's the Jewish God of the Old Testament, mean, you know, obey the command, obey, obey, obey. And then you have the God of the New Testament, which is all grace, 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 grace. I didn't understand it. And in a sense, even as a pastor, I preached on grace. But I knew that something was missing, and that got me into where we're going today. So I want to continue on. So, um, so after this Ephesians two ten or this two eleven through fifteen kind of aha moment, I went to the um, our leadership team at the time, and I told them, "Hey, man, this is this is what the Lord has been showing me, and and, and I'd like to have your input about this." And so what we did, we begin to pray and fast, but fast and pray, fast and pray, fast and pray. And we all felt, you know, I finally, I think it was, man, it was several, a couple of months later, I finally like just nailed them down in the office and said, Hey, you know, we got to make a decision about this. And so they all said, yes. And amen. Like, yeah, we're down. I think this is what we all felt like. This is what the Lord wanted us to do that we were going to move into this realm of being a more messianic type of congregation. And at that same time, I began a, a friendship with an individual named Jim Wink. He has passed away. He's no longer with us. But Jim came into my life. I mean, it was a God moment. It's one of those God moments, those aha moments, right? Where you're kind of trying to figure things out. And all of a sudden, through another friend, I'm at my office, and he comes with this guy, Jim Weems. And Jim Weems comes and meets me. We sit down in an office together, and he begins to prophetically speak over my life, how I have been searching and looking and trying to find the answer and da-da-da-da and all this uh, amazing stuff. And I'm just like, in, I'm, I'm enamored because I'm like, this is absolutely amazing. This guy is reading my mail. And, and I do believe in that. I believe in the gift of the prophetic. I believe in the prophecy. Um, and this guy nailed it um, uh, in my life. And it's something we've been praying about. We're like, God, we really need to know, is this what we're supposed to do? So he sitting in my office and years ago, about two years ago, I had, I had gotten a prayer shawl after watching a uh, Christian pastor 
um, and a rabbi, Kurt Landry, and they were talking about the prayer shawl. This is probably like around 2012, I think. And and so I told Robin, I said, my wife, I said, man, this is really cool. I'd really like to get one of them. I'd never heard of a prayer shawl before or a tallit. And so for my birthday, um, wasn't long after that, she ended up buying me a tallit. And so I began to look at it. I kind of messed with it a little bit and I prayed with it a lot. Um, and I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was actually just now kind of, um, you know, I just, I didn't know that I could or couldn't do it. I just did it. And I would go to hospital visits. And this is really where I got this from Kurt Landry, because Kurt Landry said that he had taken the prayer shawl. And when he would go to a hospital visit, he would lay it over the sick people and they would recover or God would do some type of miracle. And I believed in that kind of stuff. So I'm like, I knew that it wasn't the Talit itself, but it was a representation of what it stood for. And so I begin to do that, and I've seen results from uh, praying over people with the Talit. Anyhow, fast forward, this Talit is in my office in Jim Weems. This is in 2000 and uh, around 2018. And Jim sees it. He goes, do you know what this is for? And I said, well, yeah, I've kind of learned about it. I said, the Pershaw, and I think the Jewish people wear it. Da, da, da. And he gave me some really insightful things. And then he asked me a question. He said, do you have a shofar? And I said, no. I said, I said, I don't. I said, I've always wanted one, but I never did get one. And he actually gave me the money and said, get you one. And I got one. I ordered one. We have it here. We use it every Sabbath in our service. But Jim was a, God used Jim in a lot of different areas. I would, we began a pretty good long relationship where I would go over to his house and just ask him questions about this. He was a, he was a Gentile, obviously, but he did believe in Torah and the prophets and Moses and all this stuff. And it really helped guide me to understand a little bit more. Then he did something that was absolutely amazing. He gave me a book to help my clarity. And the book's name is called The Rise of the Messianic Church. And it's by the author, Dr. Robert Heidler. I would encourage anyone who is investigating the messianic movement or investigating kind of, you know, Christianity versus how did we get here? And that's really what it's about. Then I would encourage you to get the book and read it. Um, I'm not going to do it justice, but I do want to say that I'm a history guy. I love history. I loved history in high school and I love history now as a pastor. And so in this book, it begins, it was my first kind of understanding of learning about a guy named Constantine. Constantine was the ruler of the Roman Empire around the 300 era, 310, I believe, uh, somewhere in there, AD. And Constantine was a man, he was, he was, the, he was a paganist. He worshipped everything. And a battle was going to ensue against um, against one of his enemies, and um, and he ended up having a vision around October seventeenth, um, three hundred and ten A.D. after the death of Messiah. So this is in the third century. And what's interesting about this is this dream, he has a vision of a, some, some people say it was a burning cross. Some people say it was a glowing type of, ember, uh, you know, something around the cross. But in his dream, it said for him to embrace this, for this was the key to his victory against his enemy that was coming up against him. So he did. He basically never really 
gave up paganism, but really embraced the cross, not re- not the religion, not Christianity, but simply the, the cross. Constantine will become known as the first pope in the Roman Catholic movement. Now, some of the Roman Catholics will argue with you and they'll say, well, that's not true. It's really Peter. And that is far from the truth. Constantine is and always will be the first pope of uh, of the of the Roman Catholic. Well, he comes in, and in 325, this is the information I'm learning, by the way, as I'm as I'm in this place in my life, I learned about this guy, and he has called the Council of Nicaea. Uh, we'll talk more about that later, but basically the council was, it is what, in, in just looser terms, without going into too much deep detail for, for time's sake, it was this council that Constantine came in and wanted to do away with Passover, with Pesach, and bring in Easter. Why Easter? Well, Easter, number one, Eshtar, it, it was a very, uh, uh, it was paganism, and he was trying to kind of bring the best of both worlds. He wanted to bring in paganism, but bring Christianity in, and so they brought in this Easter. He was the one that created that, and he was the one that also brought in Christmas, and that's a whole nother uh, podcast that we'll talk later on in the year. My point is that I'm beginning to learn this stuff to find out how did we get separated. I think last time I talked to you, I said that we talked about the two streams and how, um, you know, my stepdad, how, uh, you know, I wanted to get back to the uh, to fresh water. And we had to go all the way up. We were we were camping or not camping. We were cutting firewood and uh, I was going to get a drink on the lower uh, as we turned onto a logging road um, early, early one morning when I was a young man and I was going to get a drink out of this, this, this Creek that was running through. And he yelled at me, said, don't do it. And we ended up driving another 40 minutes up the mountain. And when we get up to the mountain, then he said, I could get a drink out of the same stream, but now we're at the top of it. And later on, I had asked him, I said, you know, what made the difference? And he said, it's all about the source. So really what's happening is when I, when I begin to question things, especially like this Constantine character, you know, and his impact, on not only Christianity, but the faith of Messiah and, and everything. He was anti-Semitic. He hated the Jewish people, which, by the way, not this podcast, but another one, we'll talk about how many of our forefathers of Christianity were also anti-Semitic. So you have this huge separation for hundreds of years. Matter of fact, it became against the law in the canons of the Catholic Church. It still is in the canons today that you're not allowed to worship on Saturday, for if you do, you're a Judaizer, and you'll be excommunicated from the church. This is actually documented, so this is actually in in, in effect right now. I think it's canon, uh, I want to say canon 23, but then another part of me wants to say canon 90. Um, but you can look it up yourself. Look at the canons, go through the canons, and you'll see it in there. Um, and so that's that's huge. So we have this huge separation, and I'm asking these questions like, how in the world, if we have this one Bible, and we both all believe that we came from Abraham, and Abraham is our father, then how did we get to this place where we have the Jewish people believing one thing, and Christians believe in another thing, Jewish people have these holidays, and the Christians have these holidays? How in the world did we get to this place? This is this separation that I'm talking about. And so it's important, my point to this is it's important that you read your Bible, you understand. So that takes me to Acts chapter 15, and that's where I'm going to read this for a moment, and then we're going to wrap this up today. Because this 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 encounter through this book, um, 
the rise of the Messianic church. And then here's the thing too, guys, before I go any further, when I recommend a book, I'm not recommending the book as like the source. The source is your Bible. And so uh, I, I don't just take a guy's word. Matter of fact, don't just take my word for anything that I'm telling you today. My journey may look a little different than your journey. And your journey may, may have different uh, twists and, and turns. I'm just telling you that this is how the Lord used these turns and twists in my life to get me to a place to understand not only the value and the necessity of having Torah in our life, but the roots of our faith. And I'm not talking about the Hebrew roots. We've already mentioned that. Hebrew roots are no good. Stay away from that stuff. Uh, that's a, And I'm talking about the movement, the Hebrew roots. But I'm talking about the roots of our faith, that the Bible is a Jewish book, that Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua, is a Hebrew, a Jew. And so he's Jewish. Our Bible's Jewish, and everything about it's Jewish. And so you go, well, how did we get to so Americanish? How do we Americanize everything? Well, it started way back in the Roman Empire. Now, that being said, I want to read a passage of scripture to you. I want to take you over to Acts 15. Now, this is a critical passage of scripture, and I say that because so many times as Christians, when someone is going to say, well, we don't have to follow the Torah. We don't have to obey the law anymore. We don't have to, we can, the, the, the Sabbath got changed, but who changed the Sabbath, right? I mean, it's not in the Bible that it changed. You know, it was commanded in the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment of the Ten, it's commanded that we're to honor the Sabbath, but nowhere in there do we see a commandment not to do it, and nowhere in there do we see a commandment that you shall worship on Sunday, that the Sabbath day somehow got changed. Now, I know what the pastors, some pastors say out there, but they're false. They're giving their own um, their own hypothesis. They're giving their own narrative to something that is not in the scriptures. And so this is what I'm telling you, read your Bible. So with that in mind and kind of understanding this, this how did we separate? I want to pull out a scripture that a lot of people use as a reason that Jew and Gentile were to separate. But the question is, this is the question, right? Watch this. Where did the Jew, where did Gentiles, non-Jewish people, that's what a Gentile is, who came to faith in Jesus, who came to faith in Messiah, where did they worship at? Where did they worship? Have you ever thought about that? I want you to ask that question. Well, how did they worship? So if they weren't Jews, did they, where did they worship? If they weren't connected to the Jewish people, if they were separated, and you have two different religions here. You have the Jewish and you have Christianity. Where did the Christians go to worship? See, many people will say, well, they worshiped in their homes. But that doesn't align with Scripture. Because even in Acts, after the day of Pentecost came, they went to the temple and they met in homes to eat and fellowship. That's where they did. They worshiped in the temple and they went into homes to eat and fellowship, not to worship. Do you understand that? So there's people out there that believe, well, you don't you don't need to go to church anymore because the church is outdated. And you don't have to do it anymore. It's man-made. No, it's not. Although we don't have a temple, they did meet in the synagogue. And a synagogue is a modern-day church, okay? So now, however you want to paint that, that's fine. But this gets me to ask, how did we get to this conclusion? We get to this conclusion because of Acts 15. It's a powerful verse. 
And in Acts 15, what we see is a debate happening. The debate happened because Paul and Barnabas, on their missionary journey through all Galatia and Capernaum and all of that area, man, people, Gentiles, were coming to faith. But men that had converted over to Christ, to following Christ, but were still Jew, uh, that that were messianic, basically, they believed that although that these these Christians were Christians, but they weren't they didn't have the full rights yet because they hadn't been circumcised, and so they they meet with the council in Jerusalem, which is the council. It is like the modern day Supreme Court. Whatever decision they're going to make then that's going to be the final decision. So there's this debate arising between Jews and Paul and all of the apostles going, okay, so what do we do? Many pastors will use this text as a reason for, for, for Christians not to follow the Torah anymore. The problem is it's not what it says. So I want to read it real quick to you. Uh, bear with me. And we're going to read this together. I'm going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to read a couple of verses and skip around a little bit. So beginning in Acts chapter 15, I want to begin in verse 1 and 2, just to kind of back up with what I'm telling you. And it says, verse 15, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders with this question. Now, the location is they're in Antioch. They're not in Jerusalem. So they're in Antioch, and they meet some of the brothers, and they get into this debate because all of where uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas have been, there's, there's record number of conversions. People are getting saved by the droves. And so now they're talking about this, and these others are coming behind them saying, hey, they're not really saved unless they get physically circumcised. Now, skipping on down to verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles could hear the word of the gospel and believe. You can go to Matthew chapter 18 and Matthew 16 and read that inter interaction between Yeshua and Peter, where he gets this authority, another scripture that's messed up. He gets the authority by Messiah uh, to the keys to the kingdom. One of the keys is the Gentiles. Another key is the Samaritans and bringing the Samaritans in. And the other one, obviously, is the Jewish people. Peter was influ influenced all three of those nationalities, by the way. And uh, that's a whole nother. You can go to my uh, Peter message and, and see that. It's absolutely amazing. Now, it goes on. Verse 8, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. We're talking about the Gentiles here. Verse 9, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Verse 10, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of disciples that neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? Now, I need to stop there for a minute because that's the passage that people stop at, thinking that the Torah the entire Torah is the burden. Well, we know, according to Psalms 119, that the Torah is not a burden. It's spiritual, and it's good. So what is he saying here? What Peter is saying is the burden that's being put upon them is about salvation. How do we know that? Read the next verse, verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus 
just as they will. This is not about the Torah and whether we to obey or not. Now, I didn't realize this until I started studying. Now, that's not the end. Watch out. There's more. Jump down to verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is, this is James speaking now. Peter kind of gives the defense. Everybody goes silent. James speaks up and says, hey, this is what we need to do. In verse 19, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what, uh, and for what has been strangled, and from blood. Why those four things? Because they're coming out of paganism. Remember, these are Gentiles in Rome, in the whole Roman Empire, right? These guys were worshiping all sorts of demons, all sorts of false gods. And so what James says is, hey, look. These are the four things we're going to tell them to do. Don't eat things that have been strangled. Don't eat things that have been uh, given to uh, over from idols. Don't, uh, don't, uh, 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 what was the rest of it? I just forgot it. Sorry. Uh, uh, don't have anything to do with sexual immorality. Um, and then the final one is don't drink blood. Verse 21, for from the ancient generations, watch this. Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read, he is read every Sabbath in the, ready for this, synagogues. Now, the question is, why, why would, why would uh, James bring that up? Because the new believers were meeting in the synagogues with the Jewish people, and he's telling them, don't burden them right now with all of the Torah. I mean, the Torah, 613 laws. Now, we're fortunate that, that we don't have that many because the temple is no longer around. So that's a, lot of, that's a lot of weight on a new believer, right? It's no more different than what James is telling them to do with the Gentiles than a new believer coming into our churches today. We don't tell them that they need to know all Ten Commandments. I had someone talk to me the other day that I'm I'm visiting with, a great guy. Uh, him and his wife have been sitting visiting with them, uh, working with their marriage. And he told me, he said, he's kind of new to all, everything. Like they came to Sabbath service for the first time, and everything was a little bit different. And he says, man, that's that was a lot of different stuff. And he had some great questions. And, and I said, look, and then I started talking to him about the, the dietary laws and, and pork and, and not eating bacon no more. And man, you should have seen his face. He's just like, what? I can't eat pork. I said, wait a minute. Don't worry about all that right now. For right now, just get, in, just get here. Get to Sabbath service. Start growing in your faith. He's a new believer, right? Start learning. Start learning how to read the Bible. Why? I'm just giving him some little things. I'm not trying to burden him down with all of this stuff. We're not trying to put a yoke over him where he cannot breathe, right? He's a new believer. This is what was happening in the days of, of, uh, of Peter here and with Paul and Barnabas and all these new believers that were coming in. What's my point? Why do you bring this out, Pastor Mike? Well, as I wrap this up, this is why I bring this. I want you to understand, number one, you need to read your Bible. Just because a pastor gets up there on the platform and he says something, and it doesn't match the scripture, or the Bible doesn't say anything about it, man, don't take it, at, don't just take it at face value. Open your Bibles and learn to read and study for yourself. Paul said, study, uh, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do the job, do the work. But the Gentiles were separated. How they get separated? It started, the separation started with Constantine. 
Because see, you see in Acts 15, they were worshiping together in the synagogue. And there's there's many more verses that back that up, that they were worshiping in synagogues, right? This is powerful. This is very powerful. So, So then if they're separated, what separated them? It was a pagan ruler, an emperor, Constantine, who began the charge in separating. Why? He was anti-Semitic. He was protecting his paganism and all of his holidays and stuff. And he was trying to establish a new religion, a new religion founded upon Jesus, which is great, but not founded upon God. But remember what Jesus said. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And we know that Jesus was God in the flesh. You have to have him, right? So you have this great thing of this great eternal separation that's happened. And now when you begin to talk about some things like this, Man, Christians look at you like they have no idea. Most Christians don't even know the Ten Commandments. They don't. I've sat down with Christian after Christian after Christian and asked them, what are the Ten Commandments? They don't know them because they don't te- they're not taught them. All right. This has been episode two of our journey on how it happened from Sunday to Sabbath. And I'm so grateful. I'm going to cut it off there. I'm going to come back next week. And uh, forgive me for missing out on the week before, man. It's summertime and I've been crazy busy um, with with planning and all sorts of stuff. We got Sukkot coming up in September. Uh, I'm so excited about that. Anyhow, that's all I have for you today. God bless you. And we'll see you next time.